You're listening to the Freedom House Podcast. We're a house that will empower you in your walk with Christ to get free, live free, and set others free. This is our Sunday service series. For more information, go to FHUS.org. Enjoy. Amen. All right. Are you guys ready for the word this morning? All right. That's what I like to hear. So the title of my message this morning is, It's Time to Get Your Passion Back. And I want to speak to those who feel like their passion for the Lord has waned from where it once was. Maybe what used to be a privilege and an honor to seek him and to serve him has now turned into a sense of duty or religious obligation. And how many of you guys know when we feel obligated to do something, we do it because we feel like we have to, not necessarily because we want to? And the Bible tells us that God's desire for our lives, it's not to live dull monotonous, boring lives fueled by an obligation to seek him and to serve him, but lives that are fueled by a passionate love relationship with him that actually compels us to take action, impacting the lives of those around and about us for his glory. And one thing that I've discovered is if we're not intentional with cultivating our passionate love relationship with him, it can be easy to allow our passion for him to turn into a routine of living for him. And that routine can turn into a sense of obligation. Uh, So uh, I want you to turn to your neighbor this morning and say, hey, it's time to get your passion back. It's, It's time to get your passion back. Because how many of you know God's greatest desire, it's not for our works, it's not for our good deeds, It's for our passionate love for him because he is a passionate God who is passionate about us. Amen? Amen. Amen. In Romans 12, 11, it says, Be enthusiastic to serve the Lord, keeping your passion towards him boiling hot. Radiate with the glow of the Holy Spirit and let him fill you with excitement as you serve him. Now, the word passion is defined as an intense desire or enthusiasm for something. Now, what's interesting about the word enthusiasm is it comes from two Greek words, en meaning in or within, and theos meaning God. So passion can be defined as in God or to be filled with God. So this tells us no matter what our temperament is or what our personality profile says about us, When we are filled with God, we will find ourselves excited, enthusiastic, full of energy, bold, joyful, and optimistic about life. You know, in the book of Acts chapter 1, it says that Jesus commissions his disciples to go and wait in Jerusalem to receive the infilling of the Holy Spirit, who would empower them to be his witness. Now, that word witness in the Greek is where we get the word martyr. And how many of you know a martyr is not someone who lays down their life because of obligation. A martyr is someone who lays down their life because of passion. They lay down their life because of passion. And we see this with the disciples who were once hiding in fear, become filled with the Holy Ghost, and then they begin boldly ministering to the people around and about them. And Peter who was once full of guilt and shame for denying Jesus three times, becomes filled with the Holy Spirit, begins boldly preaching to a large crowd of people. One of the most impactful sermons to this day. And through this one sermon, 3,000 people get saved. 
You know, what kept the early Christians hard at work, laboring, spreading the gospel, even though they knew that they could be imprisoned, tortured, and violently murdered for their faith was because they were entheos. They were filled with God and they were full of passion. You see, we cannot effectively be disciples of Christ who lay down our lives daily, pick up our cross, and follow him and effectively witness to those around and about us if we do not have passion. And passion for the Lord, it's not something we can manufacture, right? We can't simply think, oh, tomorrow I'm going to be passionate for God. New Year's resolution, yes, I'm going to be passionate for the Lord again. 2024, right? Passion for the Lord, it's not something that is a byproduct of our feelings or of our goals. Passion for the Lord is supernatural. And it stems from personal and continuous encounters with the Spirit of God that ignites us to our God-given purpose. You see, many people will seek a life of passion and purpose outside of his presence, whether that's in a relationship, a career, a hobby, whatever it may be. Anytime we seek a life of passion and purpose outside of his presence, we will always find ourselves dissatisfied, disillusioned, and discontent because we were created first and foremost by God to be in a passionate love relationship with him. And it's from our relationship with him that our true source of passion and purpose unfolds. You know, the Bible tells us that if we are going to live a life of passion for the Lord, then we need to keep our passion for him boiling hot. And how many of you guys know keeping something, it's not done automatically. We, it, it, it's, not, it's, a, it's, a, it's a choice that we have to make. It is a discipline. It's something that we have to maintain. And if we're not intentional with maintaining our passion for him, our passion dissipates. We become lukewarm. We settle for a life of formalism rather than a life of faith. Much like the Pharisees, right? We're doing all the right things. I'm going to church. I'm going to connect group. I'm tithing. I'm doing what I know to do. You're saying all the right things. Oh, yes, I'll pray for you. But you really don't, you know? <laughs> right? <laughs> we settle for a life of formalism rather than a life of faith. There's no life flow of God in and through you. You know, there are many churches today that have exceptional programs, but no presence of God. I don't know about you guys, but I don't want to be known as a church that values good works above God himself. With the times that we are living in now, I'm sure you guys all can agree with me. We need the presence and the power of God more than ever before. Listen, salvation tracks, good deeds, good sermons, they are not going to cut it. We need the presence and the power of God because it is his presence in our lives and in our church that causes us to prevail. It is the anointing, the Bible says, that sets the captives free. We need the presence of God, but it requires that we get our passion back. Now, I want us to take a look in the book of Revelations chapter 2, and 
In this chapter, Jesus addresses the church in Ephesus who was once full of passion for him. But somewhere along the way, they allowed their passion for him to win. In Revelations 2, verse 2 through 7, Jesus says, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardship for my name and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. So we see with the church in Ephesus, they were a laboring church. They labored hard in ministry. They were discerning. They were persevering during immense persecution. I mean, if you were a bystander walking by this church, see them online, right? You would think, wow, this church, this is the church, right? (laughs) They appear to be doing everything a good church should do. But, you know, Jesus' issue with this church was not the good works that they were doing. Listen, he commended them for the good works that they were doing, right? His issue with them was that they didn't love him anymore. They forsook their first love. Now, the word first always speaks of priority. Usually when people use the word priority, they tend to refer to something that's important or something that's necessary, right? But priority has a deeper meaning because the word priority comes from the word prior, which means before, ahead of, or proceeding. So a priority then can be defined as something that comes before everything else. It's something that's regarded as more important than anything else. And Jesus sets the standard of priority in our lives when he says the first and the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as you love yourself. See, God's concern is not for our good works. His concern is that we prioritize loving him passionately. Because when we prioritize loving him passionately, we will inevitably learn how to love people passionately. When our love for him is the motivating factor behind everything that we do, we will see our communities change. We will see our relationships change. We will see our marriages change. We will see our finances, our workplaces, the trajectory of our lives change for the better. His issue was not them doing good works. It was that They forsook their first priority of loving him passionately. You see, when we forsake something, we willingly let it go in place for something else. You know, I've heard a lot of people say, oh, I lost my passion for the Lord. Man, I'm just not as passionate for for the things of God anymore. I lost my passion. When actually, no, you, you did not lose your passion for the Lord. You let it go. 
You see, when we lose something, it's done by accident. We can't remember where we left it. But when we let something go, it is a deliberate act, and we can usually recall when and where we left it. So now I'm going to go over just four ways that we tend to let our passion for God go. And one of the first ways that we let our passion for God go is when we compromise. Compromise is a weakening or reduction of one's principles or standards. And how many of you guys know not all compromise is bad, right? Some compromise is good and it's actually necessary, right? When my husband and I first got married, we had to compromise what temperature we were going to keep our house at. (laughs) And for those of you who may or may not know my husband, he loves being cold. Again, he is the... He is the only man that I know that wears shorts, summer, spring, winter, fall, rain, shine, blizzard, whatever it is. He's the only man that I know that wears shorts throughout all seasons of the year. And he always tells me it's because he is the only real man that I know. (laughs) So he loves being cold. So 64 is like a prime temperature for him. But for me, like 72, yes. Any other 72 people in here? Okay, there we go. That's my people. (laughs) So 72, that's like perfect. But we had to compromise and we had to come into agreement. Okay, we're going to keep it at 69, but he is so gracious to me. He will bump it up to 70 during the winter. Praise the Lord. (laughs) So we had to compromise in order to be unified. So again, some compromise is necessary and it's good, but there is a compromise that is dangerous, and that's when we compromise on the truth of God's word. In John 14, 15, Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. In other words, our love for God, it's not displayed by how much we come to church, how loud we sing during praise and worship, how often we tithe. Our love for God will always be displayed by our love and our obedience to his word. And how many of you guys know we live in a time where compromise on the truth of God's word is prevalent? Pastors will compromise preaching the truth out of fear of losing members. People will compromise sharing the gospel out of fear of being rejected. People will compromise their convictions for the sake of comfort and gratification and expediency. And what compromise teaches us is there is no absolute truth that we can kind of pick and choose what it is that we want to do when we want to do it. We can kind of add God on the side when it's convenient and relevant to us. You know, maybe you think, okay, yes, I will tithe, but I'm not going to forgive this person. Or yes, I will read my Bible and I will watch sermons online, but I'm not going to be added to the local church. In Matthew 7, verse 23, Jesus says, On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and performed many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. So these are people who did things in the name of the Lord, but they did not love him passionately by loving his word. In 2 Corinthians 11.3, it says, But I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. 
So it's important that we understand deception is what leads to compromise. And what is deception? Deception is believing something to be true that's actually not true at all. You see, when the enemy deceived Eve in the beginning, he caused her to believe that she was lacking something good outside of the will of God. And because she chose to compromise by listening and meditating on this voice that was opposite of the truth of what she knew according to God's word, it led her to further compromise, which then what did she do? She ate the forbidden fruit, which ultimately led her and Adam to be separated from the presence of God and then led all humanity into the bondage of sin and death. You see, we often underestimate the gravity of our initial compromise. Like I was saying earlier, how many of you guys have been, have been on a diet before? <clears throat> Yes, and let's say you are on a diet and you are one week into your diet. One week into, you are feeling good. No more of those sugar bakery, cookies, macarons. You're eating salads, lentils, asparagus, right? You're feeling good. You're like, wow, I'm feeling light. I can breathe. I don't have to suck in all the time. I can actually button my pants now. I'm feeling great. But then you walk into the kitchen and you see a big bag of yummy peanut butter M&Ms. Now I say peanut butter M&Ms because I love peanut butter M&Ms. So let's say you see a big bag of yummy peanut butter M&Ms and you're just like, you look over and you see it. You're like, I see you looking at me, looking at you. I see you. But then you look back and then you start to think, okay, well, maybe I can have just one M&M just one. It's not, it's not that bad if I just have one M&M, right? I could probably just have one M&M. It looks so good. And then you start to justify why you deserve this one M&M. I have been doing so good on my diet. I'm just, I deserve this one M&M. So what do you do? You go to that bag and you open the bag and you eat that M&M. You're like, wow, that's good. And then you have another M&M. And then that two, those two M&Ms turns into three, and then the three into five, and the five into 10, and then the 10 turns into you eating the whole bag of M&Ms. And by the time you're done, you're like, what happened? Where did they go? And you feel sick to your stomach, and you're just like, oh, gosh, okay, well, I might as well be totally done with my diet because I ruined it, and what's the point going back on? So I'm just going to eat how I was eating before right? We've all done it, okay? (laughs) Or let's say you're on social media. Like, I'm just going to check my messages really quick. You have no messages. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, okay, I'll just scroll for a minute. Oh, okay, cool. And then you look at the time and the one minute turns into two hours, right? You see, the danger of compromise is it will always lead to further compromise. And every time we compromise, we will always find ourselves in unfavorable situations that we never thought we'd be in. Let's say you decide not to pray today. Like, you know what? I'm not going to pray today. I already went to church. I don't need to pray today. I'll, I'll pray tomorrow. I'm feeling pretty tired. I just want to go, you know, rest and relax and, and chill with my friends. I'll pray tomorrow. <clears throat> 
But then that one compromise leads you to compromising another day where you're like, you know what, I'm not going to pray today. I'll, I'll pray tomorrow. But then that compromise leads you to developing a habit of not praying or maybe only praying when you need something or you want something. But then you start to find yourself living stressed and frustrated and irritated and overwhelmed. And you have a hard time engaging the presence of God and you don't know why. Compromise. Let's say you single ladies, right? You love God, but there is a cute boy who wants to pursue you, and you know he's not walking with the Lord, but he says he's a believer. <laughs> you know, the question that you need to be asking is, okay, are you a believer or are you a follower? Because there is a big difference. Even demons believe in Jesus and they shudder. So which one are you? <laughs> you know the scripture says not to be unequally yoked, but because you decide to date his potential instead of his fruit, you wind up with a man who doesn't know how to love you effectively, but that's because he is not walking with the author of love himself. Compromise. You know, the Bible says that Daniel was a man who refused to compromise. He was threatened to be put to death if he kept praying. But because he loved God passionately, he refused to compromise. And guess what? He was sentenced to death. But God. But God. But God. That's the best but there is. But God. <laughs> But God saved his life from the lion's den. Not only did he save his life, he caused him to prosper in that place. And because Daniel was resolved to not compromise, he brought an entire empire to honor the Lord. You know, the Bible says that we are called to be a peculiar people. But how can we be a peculiar people who advance the kingdom of heaven if we are living just like the world? If we're going to love God passionately, we need to make his word the standard of our conduct. Not what we think, not what we feel, but what he says. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. So I like to say, when we seek God's way of thinking, his way of being, his way of doing, the things that we often concern ourselves with, those things, God will take care of those things. He is faithful to take care of those things. We don't need to concern ourselves with those things. We can concern ourselves with loving and obeying his word. Second, we let our passion for God go when we become familiar with him. Leviticus 10.3, the Lord says, By those who come near to me, I must be regarded as holy. Now, the word holy means to be set apart and to be sacred. And when we stop seeing the value of who God is and what he has done for us, we will inevitably become familiar with him and stop treating his presence as sacred and start treating his presence as casual. We'll start reading our Bibles casually. We start coming to church casually late. Right? We stop disengaging during praise and worship. We stop expecting to receive anything from the sermon. Church is no longer about engaging the presence of God and serving others in love, but it's about fulfilling religious obligations. We start treating each other carelessly and we focus more on what can the church do for me rather than what can I contribute to the house of the Lord. You know, there's a saying that I'm sure we're all familiar with and that's 
Familiarity breeds contempt. That means the more familiar we are with someone, the more likely we are to despise or overlook their true value. And when we become familiar with someone, we stop appreciating them and start taking them for granted. And this is one of the biggest reasons why marriages fail, if you think about it. For those of you who are married in here, how many of you know prior to marriage, woo, you were full of passion for one another. Wow. Yes, you were full of so much passion. You were going out of your way to honor one another. Now, to honor simply means to place value upon or to treat with special attention. So you are going out of your way. You are blessing them. You're sending those sweet text messages, telling them how much you appreciate them, how beautiful she is, or how amazing and smart he is. You are going out of your way to sacrifice for them, to express your appreciation. But then you get married, right? And then after the honeymoon phase kind of fizzles out and you get in the routine of living with one another and you kind of start focusing on all the duties and the responsibilities that you have as a household and you start to think, wow, where did the passion go? What happened to the passion? Where, where's the passion? You see, what happened to the passion is you stopped being intentional with honoring one another. You stopped being intentional with expressing appreciation. You stopped being intentional with sacrificing, with blessing, with loving, and you started focusing more on what they could do for you rather than what you could do to show honor based on the covenant and the commitment that you made to love them. You see, honor is vital for relationships to succeed because honor is the antidote to familiarity. In the book of Luke chapter 7, I'm not going to read it for the sake of uh, time, but it says that Simon, who was a Pharisee, invited Jesus over to his house for dinner. Now, Simon being a Pharisee, he's most likely trained in theology, probably has scripture memorized. I mean, he's serving God, he's tithing. He probably has a reputation as being a godly man. But Jesus calls him out for not doing the basics of showing him honor. You see, it was custom for a host to wash their guests' feet, to kiss their hand or their cheek and to anoint their head as a sign of hospitality and honor. And Simon did not do any of this for Jesus. But the Bible says a woman walks into Simon's house unannounced, uninvited, And she was a sinner, was, meaning she had a previous encounter with the love, with the grace, with the forgiveness and goodness of God that impacted her so deeply. She was compelled to come to him. She bows below his feet and she begins weeping, washing his feet with her tears, wiping his feet with her hair like a towel. You see, it was very improper for a Jewish woman to unloose her hair in public, but she did not care what people thought about her. She is kissing his feet. She is anointing his feet with expensive perfume. She is so consumed with love and gratitude for Jesus. All she wanted to do was show him honor. She showed him honor by expressing undignified appreciation. Now, I know many of you in here can be very undignified at your favorite sports game. (laughs) Super Bowl, whatever it may be, I know, I know you, okay? 
you are shouted, go team! Yeah, run, go, yes! That's my team! Right? You're jumping up and down. You're high-fiving your buddy. Or let's say you're at your favorite concert, favorite singer singing, and you are dancing. You didn't know how to dance before, but now you are dancing. You are swaying back and forth, singing along super loud with all the songs, shouting, I love you! But you don't even know them, and they don't even know you. You're very undignified. But then you come to church, and suddenly you are very dignified. <laughs> yes, Jesus. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we need your presence, God. Yes, we need your presence. <laughs> we need your presence, Jesus. You see, when we recognize the value of who God is and what he has done for us, it is a natural response to want to clap our hands, to want to thank him for who he is. It is a natural response to want to jump up and down with excitement and with joy because of how good he is. It is natural to want to lift our hands as a sign of surrender and adoration because he is so good, so worthy of our love and our affection. You see, we need to renew our minds to who he is and what he's done for us. This woman showed undignified appreciation and she showed immense generosity You see, she poured out the most expensive thing that she had on Jesus. Because she had been forgiven much, she loved much. Have you guys ever received a very generous gift before? Maybe someone did something for you that was extremely generous. You did not do anything to deserve it or earn it, but it was so generous, and you were so grateful, so grateful. You just wanted to do something nice back for them. Not from a place of compulsion or obligation, but just from a place of gratitude, right? That's exactly what this woman was doing. You see, when we remember what God has done for us, when we remember what he has brought us out from, when we remember the sinful debt that he paid on our behalf, when we remember his unmerited favor and kindness and goodness in our lives that we could never earn or deserve. When we remember, listen, it is a natural response to want to give him our best, to want to give him the best of our time, the best of our resources, the best of our lives, not our leftovers. Listen, if you have a giving problem, it's because you have a receiving problem. You need to stop laboring for what God has already given you. You need to receive. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. If we want to grow in our relationship with God and experience him more, it requires that we renew our mind to who he is and what he's done and cultivate honor towards him. Amen? Third, we let our passion for God go when we seek him for what he can do rather than for who he is. 
Now, how many of you know it is easy to seek God when we need something or when we want something? Right? <laughs> you need a breakthrough. Lord, I need a breakthrough. Okay, I'm going to go to church every Sunday. I'm, you know what? I'm not just going to pray once a day. I'm going to pray twice a day. <laughs> I'm going to go to connect group. I'm going to submit my prayer requests. I'm going to tithe. Right? I'm going to do all the things. Lord, I need a breakthrough. And then you get the breakthrough. You get the answer to your prayer. And then you kind of start to start shrinking back a little bit. That's a little bit. <laughs> but then another issue arises. Lord, take it all. Help me. <laughs> How many of you guys know it does not feel good being in a relationship with someone who just wants something from you? Right? We usually steer clear from those relationships, but how often do we do that exact same thing with God? Lord, take my life. Have it all. I will seek you, God, only on the terms that I get what I want. You know, the reason I believe that uh, we are governed by this selfish ambition is because we have accepted a greasy grace gospel. That says, come to Jesus. Oh, come to Jesus. He wants to help you. He wants to bless you. He wants to heal you. Now listen, all of those things are true, right? How many of you guys can agree? We serve an amazing, a generous, a gracious, a good, a compassionate God who wants to heal us, who wants to help us, who wants to bless us but we neglect the true purpose of coming to Christ when we focus on what he can do for us rather than what he has already done for us. You see, by an act of the greatest passion ever displayed for you and for me, Christ came. The perfect, sinless, spotless lamb of God came to this earth, took our sin upon himself, died the excruciating death that we deserved. And on the third day, he rose again. Thank God he rose again. And he destroyed the power of sin and death. And he made a way that by faith in him, we can receive forgiveness of our sins and be restored back into a relationship with our heavenly father where we can live the life that we were originally intended to, not a life that's corrupted by sin and death, but a life that leads to life and life more abundantly. In Romans 12, 1, it says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Now listen, if there is a true and proper worship, there is a false and improper worship, right? And the true and the proper worship that God desires, that he is seeking, is that we, we seek him for who he is and what he has done rather than for what he can do for us. In Psalm 37, 4, it says, Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now, it can be easy to read this scripture and think, okay, God, I'm going to seek you so you can give me what my heart desires, right? But that's not what that scripture means. That scripture means that as we seek God, as we take delight in who he is 
and what he has done for us, listen, we discover that he is our heart's desire. Listen, your desire for fulfillment, it is found in him. Your desire for satisfaction, it is found in him. Your desire for comfort, it is found in him. Your desire for peace, it is found in him. Your desire for joy, it's found in him. Your desire for intimacy, it's found in him. In Jeremiah 2.13, the Lord says, My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me. There's that word forsaken. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. See, the Lord likens the things that we look to for fulfillment and satisfaction as broken cisterns. That means those things may satisfy you for a moment. That relationship, that hobby, that thing that you do, may satisfy you for a moment, but listen, it will always leave you feeling empty. Our true source of satisfaction and fulfillment, it's not found in external things or even answered prayers. It's found in him. And we can only discover that when we seek him for who he is rather than just for what he can do for us. Now, fourth, we let our passion for God go when we pursue duty over destiny. And what do I mean by that? The word destiny speaks to an ultimate destination. And our ultimate destination as followers of Christ is to be in God's presence. And we fall short of our destiny when we begin to seek our duties over our relationship with him. And this is exactly what the Ephesians church was doing. They were so wrapped up in doing God's work, they had no time for God himself. They were pursuing their duty over their destiny. And Jesus also addresses this in Luke 10, verse 38 through 42. It says, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care? that my sister has left me to do the work by myself. Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you, have wor- you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Now, I have read this story multiple times in the past, and every time I've read this, I always thought to myself, okay, Jamie, Don't be like Martha. Martha, bad. (laughs) Don't be like Martha. And one thing that the Lord has revealed to me is there is nothing wrong with Martha, right? If our whole world was full of Marys who were sitting in their prayer closet, just praying and worshiping all day, listen, nothing would get done, (laughs) right? We need Marthas, (laughs) But what the Lord desires is that we be like Mary before we're like Martha, that we're intentionally disengaging from the distractions, from the expectations, from the demands of life, humbling ourselves before him, posturing our hearts to hear his word. So rather than operating out of a place of stress and fear and strife and worry, we're actually living from the place of being in his peace and being empowered by his presence. 
You see, God's not concerned about our good deeds. His concern is for our connection and our intimacy with him because it's our connection and our intimacy with him that actually ignites within us the desire and the power to do his will. Now, one of the biggest hindrances to pursuing our destiny is when we focus on what we do for God instead of why. Now, for those of you who may not know this, I am a drummer. I love drumming. (laughs) I have loved drumming for as long as I can remember. I mean, I remember being in elementary school and just wanting to play the bongos. And we would have school plays, and I remember being like, okay, is there a bongo part in here? Like, (laughs) how do I audition for that? Uh, there's not a part okay well can we create a part so i can play the bongo part like i just wanted to play the 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 drums whatever drum i just wanted to play it and when i was in middle school was when i first actually sat down at a real drum set and i remember sitting at it and looking at it and thinking to myself there is no way i will ever be able to learn to play the drums i mean this is way too complex And so after that day, I let go of the desire and the dream to ever play the drums. I'm like, it's not going to happen. It's okay. So I let it go. But then after I got saved when I was 20, all of a sudden the desire to play the drums came back so strong. And so um, I would go to praise and worship practice and I would just sit and I would watch the drummer. And I had two drumsticks and I was just sitting down at the ground, just drumming on the ground, watching him. I had no clue what I was doing, but I was so fascinated with the drums. And I would go home and I would make a drum set out of pillows <laughs> and I would watch drum tutorial videos and pretend like I know what I'm doing. And I'm just like, yes, but I'm full of passion, right? And the pastor saw me, they're like, okay, we need to help this girl out. We're going to get her some drum lessons. And so they got me some drum lessons and I learned like some basic beats. But listen, I was passionate with those beats, man. <laughs> and, and we had like three drummers at the time, and all of the drummers ended up leaving and uh, not being able to drum anymore. And so Pastor Wendy's like, okay, Jamie, you are it. Go. <laughs> now, I wasn't like the greatest at that time, but I got better. Amen, right? I got a little bit better. I got a little bit better. <laughs> but I was so full of passion and excitement. I'm like, yes. I want to serve God with the gifts that he's given me. Yes, this is so exciting. But then I started to find myself kind of feeling tired since I was the only drummer for like a year or so. You know, I, I was starting to feel a little tired. And for those of you who may not know this about the praise and worship team, they labor hard prior to Sunday service. Like you guys don't see anything that, that is put into this service that they do. Like, not only do they practice Thursday nights for a couple of hours, they're practicing before service on Sunday. Not only that, but they're practicing throughout the week, right? Or at least that's what I was doing. So they labor hard. And so I started getting to the point where I was so focused on, like, how I was feeling. I'm like, okay, I have to learn this song also. I have to go to practice. Oh, I have to get up early to practice before uh, service on Sunday. I have to do all of these things. And the passion that I once had turned into a sense of obligation. I wasn't as excited to do it anymore. I actually started dreading it. And something somebody said to me that forever impacted me and changed my perspective. They said, Jamie, we don't have to serve God. We get to. We get to. 
You know, that challenged me so deeply and it changed my perspective. And so I was like, you're right. I don't have to be doing these things. This is an opportunity. This is a privilege because of how good he is, because of everything he has done for me. I get to do these things. And I began to thank God. Thank you, God, that you've given me the opportunity to use my gifts to glorify you, to praise you, to thank you because you are so good. Thank you, God, that I get to be a part of cultivating an environment where people can come and encounter your presence to know you personally and intimately. Thank you, God. And as I began to thank him and praise him, listen, I started to feel more energized. I started to feel more excited. I started looking forward to going to practice. I started looking forward to drumming Sunday morning. My passion started coming back. It was no longer about what it was about why. And you see with the Ephesians, the, uh, the church in Ephesus, they were laboring, they were enduring, they were being persistent, they were doing all the things. Listen, Jesus didn't have an issue with that. His issue was that they were doing it from a place of duty and religious obligation rather than from a place of being passionately in love with him. And listen, if you are here today, and you recognize, hey, yeah, I, I, maybe I have let my passion for God go. Maybe I have settled for a life of duty and religious obligation, void of any passion for him. The good news is, is you can get your passion back. You can get your passion back. And Jesus tells us how. He says, if we're going to get our passion back, we need to remember. He says, remember how far you have fallen. Did you know we could be doing all the right things externally and yet still be falling? You see, we tend to think of people falling as someone who has fallen into adultery or fallen into sin. But Jesus does not just think of falling as just that. He considers us falling when he's no longer first priority in our lives. He says, remember how far you have fallen. I like to call this having a pig pen moment. You guys know the story of the prodigal son, right? The prodigal son was a son who had a love relationship with his father. But because he wanted his father's gifts more than he wanted his father's presence, he takes his father's gifts, and then he goes out and he spoils them, doing with them what he wants and what he wills. And then he finds himself in a pig pen eating with the pigs. This is the lowest of the low for him. But then he remembers what it was like when he was with his father. He remembers how good life was when he was just with his father. It was remembering that actually led him back. We need to remember by recognizing the reality of our lives in comparison to where it once was when he was first priority in our lives. We need to remember where our first love was and remember why our first love was. We need to remember why we came to Christ in the first place. Remember how desperately you needed him and how desperately you still need him. Remember the breakthrough, the freedom that he brought forth in and through your life, the joy, the peace, the fulfillment that you found in him. Remember the simplicity of just praying, just talking with him, communing with him before the busyness of life complicated things. We need to remember. And then he says we need to repent. Now, 
The first message that Jesus preached when he started his ministry was not, come to me and I will give you what you want. Right? The first message that he preached was, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You know, the command to repent, it's not a command to feel sorry. It's not a command to feel anything at all. The command to repent is the command to change your mind, to turn from your way of thinking and doing and to turn to his way of thinking and doing. You know, repentance, it's not a condemning word. It is a restorative word because it is what positions us to receive him and every good thing that he has promised. And uh, repentance, it's not meant to be a one-time event. Oh, yeah, I repented then. Or I remember when I repented back then. See, repentance is meant to be a lifestyle where we are continuously daily acknowledging wrong mindsets, wrong attitudes, wrong dependencies that oppose our relationship and our intimacy with him, confronting them and dealing with them. He says, if we're going to get our passion back, we need to remember, we need to repent, and we need to return. And how do we return? Jesus says you return by doing the things you did at first. Now, how many, Jesus is not saying we need to return to a feeling. (laughs) He's not saying return to a feeling. He's saying we return by doing the things we did at first. Return to an action. See, the reason why two people fall in love is because they are very intentional with their actions towards one another. They are intentional with the words that they speak. They are intentional with the actions towards one another. They're intentional with serving one another, with blessing one another, with honoring one another, with appreciating one another. The reason why two people fall out of love is because they stop doing the things they did at first. And it's the same exact way in our relationship with God. If we're gonna love him passionately, We cannot move beyond the basics of doing the things we did at first. We return by making the decision, I'm going to love his word. I'm going to surround myself with those who are passionate for God. I'm going to surround myself with those who can pray for me, who can encourage me, who can challenge me, who can speak truth and love to me so that I am not living a life of compromise. I'm going to value who he is and what he has done for me. I'm going to appreciate him. I'm going to be thankful. I'm going to give him the best of my life, not my leftovers. I'm going to seek him for who he is, to experience him for who he is, not just for what he can do for me. I'm going to prioritize his presence. I'm going to fast, I'm going to pray, I'm going to deal with the things that oppose my, my connection and intimacy with him. I'm going to allow his love to be the motivating factor behind everything that I do. And let me end with this. Jesus states, if we do not repent and do the things we did at first, he'll remove our lampstand. Now, what does that mean? It means he'll remove his presence and his power from our lives and from our church. That's a dangerous place to be. I don't want to be in that place. But his promise, his promise, thank God for his promises. His promise is that if we get our passion back, 
we'll be restored back to paradise. Paradise is also likened to the garden. Now, how many of you know it was at the garden where Adam and Eve were covered with the glory of God, where he was their fulfillment? It was in the garden where they knew no shame or fear. It was in the garden where they prospered in their purpose, in their destiny. It was in the garden where they knew the passionate love of God and they loved him passionately. You see, this is the place that God desires to live, does, desires us to live in and from, where we are in his presence, passionately loving him because he passionately loves us. That's the place, my friends. Now, what I want you guys to do is I want you to go ahead and stand to your feet. I just want you to close your eyes and bow your heads. And I just want you to allow the Holy Spirit to highlight to you personally where you may have let your passion for God go. Allow him to highlight other things, competing lovers that have become more of a priority than his presence. And if you're here today and you say, yes, I recognize I have let my passion for him go. I have settled for a life of duty and religious obligation, void of any enthusiasm and passion for his presence. By faith, I just want you to raise your hand. Say, yeah, I want my passion back. I want to get my passion back. Amen. Amen. If that's you this morning, I'm going to lead you guys through a prayer of repentance and rededication because listen, I can't get your passion back for you. I mean, I wish I could. <laughs> That's not how it works. Getting your passion back, it is a personal decision that you make. So I'm going to lead you guys through a prayer. And I believe that as we pray, as you allow God to fill you afresh with his spirit, he is going to ignite with you a fresh, consuming passion for him. Amen. So I want you to repeat after me. Say, Father, thank you for loving me passionately. Thank you for pursuing me relentlessly. Father, forgive me for letting my passion for you go. Forgive me for compromising, for treating your presence casually, for seeking what you can do for me instead of what you have done for me. Forgive me for pursuing my duties over my destiny found in you. Forgive me for prioritizing other things above you. Jesus, I turn from my way and I turn to you. God, I ask that you fill me afresh with your spirit. Ignite within me a consuming passion as I set my heart to love you passionately. In Jesus' name.
Amen. Amen. Let's just praise him. Let's just thank him for who he is. He is so good. He is so worthy. You are so worthy, God. We thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. You've been listening to the Freedom House Podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. If you would like more information about our house, please visit our website, FHUS.org. Thanks again for tuning in, and please consider sharing this podcast with your friends and family. See you next time.